Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. Your MLB doesn't actually seem to understand what the word negotiate means home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, and you can find us wherever you get your podcast by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs and more at Bleed Cubby Blue, and I am thrilled to be joined today by Danny Rocket, the host of the Sun Ranto podcast and pretty much our co-host at the moment. He's been here for the last few months. Danny, how's it going? Yeah, I'm going to claim squatters rights at this point on this podcast because <laughs> I've been here long enough now to uh, at, at, at least uh, be a host. Not maybe not a host, but a host. Yeah, I think you're I think you're a co-host. I think it's you, me and Andy at the moment. Andy is welcome obviously whenever she is ready uh to come join us again, but yeah, I think you I think you're just you're just stuck with being a co-host of Cup of Cubby Blue now. <laughs> oh, shucks. I got to talk about the Cubs. I hate that. <laughs> Uh, but let you know, we've got a lot of news to cover and it's not all good people. I mean, I I'll be the first to admit it is February 7th. We're recording, uh, pitchers and catchers should be reporting in less than a week. They generally report sometime between the 12th and the 14th. And that is clearly not going to happen. Your favorite pitchers and catchers are not on their way to their spring training homes in Arizona or Florida. And we're going to dive in to why, but I think that the important frame for this conversation really comes from how the players have been talking about this on social media. Danny, can we even call what major league baseball is doing right now a negotiation? Have they even offered enough proposals or counter proposals to be engaged in an act of negotiating? Cause I kind of side with the players here and don't think they have. Well, they, yeah, they went and basically ran to their dad, you know, oh, let's get the federal uh, negotiators. I'm not going to even offer you a contract or I'm not going to even come back with an offer. I'm, we're, oh, no, well, this isn't going to work out. We can't see eye to eye. We're too far away. Let's have the feds come in. And I don't know how that would look. And it's not a binding situation, no matter what the feds decide. The players don't have to accept it still. But uh, the, what it seems to me is that they don't have any new ideas. And I wonder what side the feds would be on because I bet you they're just how the feds tend to be are usually on the side of the billionaires. And what they, what they don't want is there to not be a season. That's just bad PR for America. That's like, that's some, you know, I hate to say it, but that's some like quote unquote, let's go branded stuff there. You know what I mean? That we'll have to hear about. And I don't want to hear about it because we should be watching baseball and not blaming the president for, you know, baseball not happening. But uh, what, but the truth about, of the matter is, is I don't, I, I can see why the players would turn that federal mediation down because I don't, th- I don't see how that works in their favor. Um, when the government gets involved, they're usually not pro labor. Totally. I, I mean, let's we're going to break down what the government getting involved could look like. And I want to talk about this federal mediation offer a little bit because it really seems to me and, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. You know, our Twitter account at Cup of Cubby Blue, if, if you have some if you have some disputes with what I'm about to say, you're always welcome to tweet us there. But as far as I can tell, the timeline goes like this. December 1, the current or the last CBA runs out. MLB immediately opts to initiate a lockout under the auspices that that lockout will somehow bring players to the table and they'll they'll jumpstart negotiations. Now, when the lockout was implemented, the players had an offer on the table. So the players have an offer on the table on December 1, MLB initiates a lockout, and then they wait seven 
weeks almost. They wait, they wait six or seven weeks, like 43 40 days. 43 days, 43 days. Right. Yeah. So just over six weeks, 43 days. They they wait until they offer a counter proposal. One, that is ridiculous. Like you're obviously not speeding anything up. You can't do anything for like you took a six week Christmas break. Who gets a six week Christmas break? It must be a billionaire <laughs> perk. I wasn't even aware of, but it is. <laughs> they could take a whole lifetime break if they wanted to at this point. So they offer, they finally offer a counter proposal. The players come back with their counter proposal within like a week, like within a really normal and regular time frame. They go back and forth one more time. And then the owners are like, nope, nope, we're done. We need help. We need a federal mediator. I'm like, you didn't need a federal mediator. You just needed to actually offer counter proposals. And some of the counter proposals that they're offering are just, they're, they're laughable offers. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the players come to the table with, hey, we'd like a $110 million fund for players who are in like the Super 2 and arbitration era to get like some bumps to their pay when they do really good things, like win the rookie of the year or something. Uh, and MLB's like, yeah, we offer 10. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not even close. I mean, that that's not how you haggle. You know, it's it, it's <laughs> like, I mean, and, and you know what? $10 million is, it's, it's kind of chump change if you consider how many people that might be split amongst like, oh, a guy hits 20 home runs or gets a war over two or, you know, something like that. So that's going to be worth what? you know, five grand in a, in a used Toyota. Like, what are we giving these guys? It's, and you know, we saw it. The prime example I think that Cub fans can relate to is somebody like Chris Bryant, who in the first two years of his contract, when he's winning rookie of the year, when he's winning the MVP, he's not getting paid uh, that much. I mean, he wasn't a, a millionaire yet even, you know, and he's got these two amazing, uh, these two amazing uh, feats under his belt. And, you know, then the Cubs did right by him and they ended up paying, the, paying him the money. I think they just gave him a million bucks. Be like, all right, thanks. All right. This is all good faith. We're going to give you some extra money, but that should have, there should be a way for anybody who overperforms a Juan Soto or somebody like that when they have just these amazing years for a few years and they're just making five, six hundred thousand dollars for three years straight till they hit arbitration that they could at least make a million. Uh, It just doesn't seem fair that they would own you like that for your entire minor league career where you're not getting paid barely at all after you get that bonus. And then uh, if you get a bonus and then, for three years, you could just be hitting the cover off the ball till you're 27 years old and you're still at the, you know, at the league minimum. That's just, that's unfair. And, you know, for 110 to be countered with 10, come on, like $50 million, maybe now you're getting somewhere. Now you're in the mid, like they should have at least come back with that. Maybe you settle at 60, but they just don't seem to be, I mean, what 110 maybe does that even seem high when you think of 30 teams maybe splitting that money it, it doesn't mean, 10 million dollars is, is a laughable pool of money to have available for the best ball players in their first and second years and you know you brought up chris bryant i want to spend some time on chris bryant here because i think it's notable chris bryant is a free agent who still does not have a job as of this moment he was not part of the free agent 
flurry of spending that happened before December 1st. And I'm sure Chris Bryant is going to get a great contract. He's going to be gainfully employed uh, as soon as all of the lockout shenanigans end. But let's be very clear about something. That man was rookie of the year. Then he was MVP. He's been a above league average bat for almost every year that he has been in Major League Baseball. And for, a, you know, a, his first three years as he's racking up the accolades, he's at the mercy of the Cubs giving him a race. I mean, it reminds me, we talked earlier on this show, and I don't have the numbers in front of me because it was about a month ago or so, but Jacob deGrom comes up and he's, you know, lighting the world on fire. He is the best pitcher in the league. It is not particularly close. And and for all of that, he gets like a $40,000 raise, which is absurd. The, the best pitcher on the Mets is getting paid like $600,000 after he demonstrates that greatness. Yeah. So yeah, Chris was at six fifty two, and then they made him a millionaire. They gave him a million dollars when the you know the year after the year he we won the MVP, you know, which was the year after he did. But you know that should have been more. If there was a bonus pool, he probably would have gotten something out of that, and that that makes sense to me because they and what I really love about what the players are doing for the first time because this didn't happen last time. They're looking out for the younger players. And I think that will strengthen the union when you're because you're as strong as your weakest member, I think, is what is their approach this time. And that's going to look good, really good for the fans that understand this stuff, too. So I, I, I think that they're doing a great job with the PR aspect of this whole thing uh, from a moral standpoint and from a negotiating standpoint, because, you know, if the owners just aren't giving a an actual offer. Like the fans are just sitting there being like, well, you can't just run to the daddy every time you can't figure this out for yourself. Just come back with a decent offer. Yeah. I also just think, I mean, it, it is MLB is telling on themselves a little bit by asking for help with federal mediation here, because honestly, if, and I think it's Dan Hallam who is running the negotiations for MLB. I if Dan Hallam can't go into a room with the owners and be like, "Yo, your counter proposal of ten million is is really too low," and in order to be competitive with what the players are asking for, that needs to be bumped up to fifty million or so. And and they need some outside person to come in and say that's fair. That's kind of ridiculous to me. Like you don't need an outside person to come in and say that's fair. I think every single one of us, like if I go to sell a car, right, and I'm like, oh, I would like you know, 12,000, I would like you to pay $12,000 for my used car or whatever. And you come back and you're like, I am willing to pay you $150. That is not <laughs> a realistic negotiation. That's my, like, my si I'm not going to sell you that car. Yeah. My sister's in real estate and she, she uh, has found that a lot that just these idiots and they go and they're, Oh, this house is $400,000. And Oh, well, well, I don't think it's worth that. I'm going to let's offer three twenty, And you know, they'll tell them, oh, well, you can't do that. I mean, you're wasting everybody's time because they're going to reject this offer. They've, they've had higher offers that they've already rejected. And you know, so it's just like, this is not good faith negotiations. The owners know that $10 million is a non-starter for this concept. This is a way. And you know, and here's the thing, come up to $70 million and then keep your, you know, year, your three years till arbitration situation. Like keep that you, the owners could could keep some of what they've won in past negotiations if they would just do something on the other side. Um, and they don't seem to want to do anything. The owners have a good deal. They know it. They don't want to 
to change at all. They're going to hold the players over a barrel. And I don't think they care that they lose games. They said they, they wouldn't. So that's um, just, it's just really unfortunate. I mean, I've already been looking into buying Chicago dogs tickets just because I know that come, you know, the spring, I'm going to want to go to something. Yeah. I, I'm with you on the idea that the owners are just like, really radically out of step with what needs to happen here. One of the things that out of touch. One of the things that keeps reminding me of is, you know, when they were negotiating the 2020 pandemic shortened season, the owners would come up with a proposal and be like, we are offering a 60 game season. And the players would come back and they'd be like, we are offering a hundred game season and we think it would look like this and blah blah blah. And the owners would be like, we are offering two halves of a season that each have 30 games. As if two halves with 30 games a piece was not different than 60. Like the owners just come back every single time with a slightly reworded, we're going to offer you the same thing we offered you before, but we're going to change the way we call it that. And I. (laughs) New offer with like a fake mustache on it. (laughs) Totally. They're like, we're the same offer, but we are, we are dressed differently. I, you know, I get that billionaires are super out of touch and they think that, the, they think that having to pay anything else in, in the land is just going to be the worst thing ever. And we see this time and again, like if you pay attention to labor fights, if you're watching like the Starbucks unionize or you're watching the things that have happened with Amazon workers trying to unionize and those types of things, I feel like you are familiar with this playbook. You're just not used to seeing it play out in the nation's pastime. But frankly, I understand why the players turned down a federal mediator because, Danny, you're absolutely right. This would not be a pro-labor person. This would be somebody making them take pennies on the dollar. But also, like, can't we all agree that the players are asking for mostly reasonable things here? Like, we want to get paid when we're most productive and we don't want the system to totally hamstring a bunch of guys to and keep them from being productive baseball players at the time they are most productive. I mean, everything they're asking for seems eminently reasonable to me here. And I want to watch the players play. I don't want to watch the owners pocket money. Yeah. And the, and the players also have some of the most controversial things that they wanted, like free agency uh, before what, uh, six years, they, they took that off the table. They took the idea of guys becoming uh, at age 30, becoming free agents, regardless of their status of service time. They took that off the table. And so, you know, the players are negotiating in good faith and the, and the owners aren't. And because we have all this information and it's playing out, in public. Uh, and you know, if they're trying to keep it secret, they're not doing a good job at all. Um, because we all pretty much know everything that's going on, whether the meeting was heated or not. I mean, we know within minutes, uh, from Ken Rosenthal, how it went. So, and plus I think this, and this is the first one, and we've talked about this on this show, it's playing out in public. We love the players. We're friends with them on Twitter. Now we can see everything they do from hanging out with their kids to what their feelings. I saw you put in the notes about Trevor May on, on a show about the, I guess it was a Mets podcast or something that he was doing. And um, yeah, I, I mean, we're hearing from these guys, their opinions about how the negotiations are going and whose side are you on? You know, probably Trevor Mays. I know I am. Yeah, let's talk about this a little bit because I I think this is the most fascinating aspect of the lockout from my perspective. You know, MLB is still out there 
issuing their press releases and statements through the Jeff Passons of the world and the Bob Nightingales of the world. And like, this is how MLB operates, right? They have an old media war going on. They've got press releases. They've got comms people. They have their five trusted reporters who they trust to break all their stuff. And that's what they're hoping uh, will break through to most fans where fans are now on TikTok where they can see their favorite players talking to them directly. They're on Twitter and you've got Wilson Contreras talking about how, hey, don't you actually have to negotiate before you get a mediator? And that was not just Wilson Contreras, by the way. It was like a tweet that players, like so many different players all tweeted out basically the exact same thing with their own riffs on it. And on that same day, you had Trevor May doing a video where he was doing an interview, but it's like, you know, a two minute clip of this interview. And he basically says, the players do not believe MLB is negotiating in good faith. So why would we accept their offers? I mean, he flat out says, though, like, we do not trust Rob Manfred. He is just a face for the owners to get as much as they could possibly get. Everything about this process is designed to maximize what the owners get and to minimize what the players get. And the players know it. And they're telling us that directly. And Frankly, when I see that and the options are I I can side with a bunch of billionaires who I have nothing in common with and Rob Manfred, who incidentally, like maybe the worst, like I'm going to side with Wilson Contreras. It's not even a question. It's it's so obvious. Trevor May called him uh, Manfred a transactional. And I thought that was an interesting way to put it is that he's just playing a chess game. He has no feelings in the matter. He doesn't care about baseball. In fact, he hates it. We've we've spent lots of time talking about how he hates baseball. But uh, he has no intention of he has no intention of treating this negotiation as something that is important to the hearts and souls of America or anything like that. It's just about money. It's just about what's my next move. He doesn't care if half the season gets lopped off or the whole season gets lopped off because they've get they've run the numbers on everything and he knows that if the season starts April 30th they will have um, lost this much revenue and they know it, if they starts on June 30th they will have lost this much revenue and they know these numbers uh the players know them as well but the but the difference is the owners know how much money they make cuz they don't open their books so it, you know, the, the players know their situation uh, and uh, in be, because of that style of negotiation, like you were saying before, usually in a successful negotiation, both sides are looking out for each other's interests. So like, I want to make you happy with this, with your side of it, because you're going to make me happy with my side. It's going to be a mutually beneficial contract, but very rarely, do, is, does that happen in MLB, like you said, with the 2020? The, right. The, the, owners, the owners never negotiated. They could have had a 100-game season. They failed at doing so because the owners wouldn't pay more than a certain amount because they were like, oh, yeah, you can play 100 games, but we're only going to pay you for half of them. Right. So that, I mean, that was their offer. The money was never going to change. You could play more games, but they weren't going to They weren't going um, to ever – open up the uh, open up for another time. So I don't know. I mean, you can't force these, but I think these dudes are so out of touch. Uh, it, the billionaires, I real the owners. I think they're so out of touch. They think a banana costs $50. They think a gallon of milk is a hundred. They don't know how it really works in the real world. They don't know. I, I, I think they don't care uh, if, if the, if they lose some fans, 
because they just think, oh, well, they'll be back. They're, I mean, they take us for granted. So they just take for granted, like, oh, I can just make beer twelve dollars instead of eight. Like they don't care. Like, oh, a hot dog for ten bucks. Oh, families can't afford it. I don't care. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get some uh, tourists to come through and pay hundred dollars ticket for a Saturday. I don't care if the family of four from the Chicago suburbs can't come because I got this rich family that came in from you know you know Oklahoma City on their vacation. They don't know what things cost, so they they just don't care, and it's really disheartening because they're the reasons why we're not going to get the season started on time. They 100% are, and they're going to try as soon as games get missed, as soon as spring training games get missed, which they're definitely like spring training is not starting on time. I'm I am a little disappointed in this because my birthday was supposed to be the opening day for spring training. The Cubs were supposed to play on February 26th. I was pretty excited about it. That is definitely not happening. No one should expect spring training games to start on time. But the when all that starts happening and when the releases come out about how it's the player's fault, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, Danny, and I didn't drop this in the show notes, so I'm definitely going to butcher the specifics here. But the AP had a headline that was literally just, they just clipped the press release from MLB and they're like, ah, oh, yes, the MLBPA's failure to accept a federal mediator means that the season will not start on time. And I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Flag on play, AP. Like, that is not... Where, why we are where we are. We are where we are because the owners did not negotiate for 43 days. We are where we are because the owners are offering up counter proposals that are not real counter proposals. We are where we are because the players know the score and they know that the only way that they are going to get even a fraction of what they deserve, because they actually deserve all the things they were asking for originally. However, they've let go of some of those demands, as you noted. The only way they're going to get the demands that they still have left is if they hold on and a fan stick with them as games are lost. And, you know, we're going to keep covering this here on Cup of Cubby Blue. I think a lot of a lot of other places will be covering it as well, like the Sunranto show. Like, you have got to get your news from the people who care about the players and baseball itself. And frankly, I don't think the league does. No, they, they don't. And that's kind of the problem is, like, Rob Manfred is not – uh, he he doesn't like baseball. He doesn't care if the season gets played and the players do. And I guess the owners are supposed to, but they don't seem to care either. Like they, they're, they already said, first of all, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth. Their latest statement was our goal has always been to get players on the field for spring training in time. We are. And you know, they, that's what they just said, but they also said, that they're willing to lose games. So those are the those are two opposite things that they said within two weeks of each other, like we're stupid. You know, and that's why it's you know, it's not good faith. And I and I'm frankly insulted by how they just I mean, this could get done. And the sad thing is it will get done eventually. And it could have been done a long time ago. We wouldn't, wouldn't had to miss a single minute of this season. Because eventually there will be a deal and it shouldn't be about who blinks first. It should be a fair negotiation based upon how much more money teams are worth now, how much more money Major League Baseball has generated over the last, uh, well, five years specifically since the last uh, CBA. We've seen the values of all these uh, franchises rise and we've seen the rise of crap like tanking where these small market owners are content to lose and lose and lose and lose. How many teams lost 100 games last year? Too many. 
uncompetitive teams, and the players are trying to fix this. The owners aren't. Owners are like, we like things how they are. We, you know, we want big market teams doing well. We want small market teams to beat up on, uh, and we'll share you the money so that we can have a hundred win season with all-star teams for the Dodgers. You know, like they're fine with how things are. Players are not. Players want salary floors for these teams. The owners don't. The play they say that they say they do. Yeah, right. What is that floor? Thirty million. <laughs> you know, Sixty million heard. dollar salary floor. Just you know, right yeah. where the teams are already at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they're they're just gonna. So it's just, you know, maybe if there's penalties for going under that, it would help. I don't want to get into it, but you know, I just they've the owners have offered nothing. They have not come back with a single offer that is anywhere Correct. close to what the players want. The players have come back and gotten rid of the other things that they that they knew the owners weren't going to do. They got rid of them, and the owners still come back without anything. So it's just like, I don't know, we could beat the dead horse about the owners, but I'd rather beat a dead owner. <laughs> I wouldn't have killed him, but I'll beat him post-mortem yeah. just because I'm mad. I mean, I think that you're exactly right, though. The owners have not come back with anything. And just a couple of timeline notes and some other, like, random minutia here so that people are aware of it. Um, if you are not following Maury Brown over at Forbes, you definitely should. He's a must read for all things CBA. He's been tracking the economics of the league closer than just about anyone. He has a couple of notes from this week that I want to make sure we pass on to our listeners. One of those is that um, MLB, the owners are going to get together Tuesday through Thursday of this week and try to figure out where they go now that the players said no to a federal mediator. It'll be interesting to see what type of proposal, if any, they come up with. I actually expect that they will do the same thing they've been doing, which is like their $10 million pool will become a $5 million pool split between the first year players and the second year players and like all sorts of shenanigans so that it's still $10 million, but it's not actually any sort of increase that would cost the owners anything. It's $10 million in a hat and mustache. (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Another thing that uh, Maury has been tweeting out and so have some other writers from The Athletic, I believe this graph actually came from The Athletic. It's just a real simple graphic that shows the estimated earnings and and we have to have estimated earnings for MLB because teams haven't opened their books which by the way if if anybody wants to open their books up and actually show us how the revenues are down for MLB teams go for it but I I don't think they are which is why no team is actually going to open their books at any point in the near future but that shows pretty clearly how much revenues have risen for owners and that player salaries and the competitive balance tax have not kept up with that. So the CBT tax that owners basically want to keep where it is and the salaries that they want to keep where they are just mean that more profits from baseball would go into the pockets of the billionaire owners who are already getting those profits. And that pie would continue to be divided unfairly with the players getting a smaller and smaller and smaller proportion of it. So be sure uh, you're following Maury Brown over on Twitter. He's got great news updates every single day going on with all of this. And the last tidbit that he and some other people have talked about, I actually first heard about this on the podcast Rates and Barrels from Britt Droli. And I think um, she deserves credit because that's the first time I had heard about this. But the players have been socking away their licensing fee money for the last few seasons, and I, it, the, I believe somebody is going to correct me if I'm wrong on this because I don't have the tweet in front of me, but I believe I read there's like $180 million in that fund. They're using that fund to make sure that players who maybe aren't making the million-dollar contracts who are going to start to feel it when they miss paychecks in April and May, 
will have money to tide themselves over for things like rent, for things like food, for things like taking care of their families. And so I don't think the players are going to back down on this one anytime soon. They've got a little bit of a war chest socked away so that they can take care of the people who will need some help. Uh, They seem to be pretty united. The only divisive thing I saw all week, of course, came from a Cardinals pitcher, Adam Wainwright. What are you even doing? Like, I, when I saw this, I about lost my mind. But Adam Wainwright is the one player out there who's like, look, if MLB would even offer us what we currently have, we'd probably just accept it tomorrow. Dude, don't do that. Like, don't yeah. undermine your negotiating posture publicly. <laughs> like, please, no. Somebody go get somebody send Adam Wainwright a memo not to do that. Well, and he's like in the last year of his career too. It's just like, dude, shut up. Like <laughs> this isn't about you, bro. Like you are ruining yeah. it for everyone. Be quiet. <laughs> By the way, this just did. I just saw this. Uh I'm looking at Twitter. Uh, Major League Baseball has stopped testing players for steroids for the first time in 20 years because the the drug agreement has also expired. I'm so sure that'll work well. We, so, yeah, depending on what's going on, these guys could have been on the juice since early December. Still pee clear by the time oh uh, the God. season starts, you know, if there's like a ramp up. And then, uh, you know, maybe if there's like, depending on how much it takes to get out of your system, but we could be seeing a Sammy Sosa and McGuire type home run chase in 2022 if, if the right guys are using. Oh, uh, Lord. I can't, of course. We don't want to see that, but. Um, but yeah, just I happen to just see that it's like, like oh great, if it as if the lockout couldn't get worse. Well, <laughs> just it's just steroid time. Again. Well, you you know there there was some conjecture that maybe the way that you get Barry Bonds back on the ballot is the Giants give him like a one day contract and reset his Hall of Fame clock. So maybe this is an opening for Barry Bonds to come back into the league. I am joking. I can't. As I can't. As a. As a scab, as a scab, <laughs> playing with a bunch of minor leaguers. <laughs> well, and I do, I do wonder if the if the Major League Baseball would do something petty like that. And I don't know how that would work because you do have minor league camp. Like they are going to be in Arizona, and the minor leaguers will be playing. They'll be getting ready for their season because that's not the CBA. But do you think that the owners would or could even? feel the team with these guys. Well, I mean, they can play some baseball and and it would be more competitive than what you would see at like your local high school or something. I actually think the thing that's really interesting here that hasn't gotten a lot of airtime is that the players who can't play in those games, so the players who won't have access to spring training and won't have access to those minor league games are the players on the 40-man roster, which means the most interesting minor leaguers, the minor leaguers who are closest to the big leagues, the minor leaguers who are probably the names that you have heard of, most of the top prospects in any organization are locked out, just like the major league players. And so there's some development gaps that are going to happen for those players who are on the 40-man versus players who are not on the 40-man that I think is a real disadvantage Like, if you consider the fact that the 2020 season interrupted the minor league process, and now the 2022 season will interrupt that development for some of the best players, I think you could wind up with some really big gaps for some of the most talented people in the minor leagues. Yeah. Well, and they botched this whole thing. I mean, they've been botching the minor leagues in development for a long time. Uh, some teams, especially the Cubs, although they have shown improvement in that in that uh, with opening camps and, you know, they got the prospect camp going right now. But uh, they just by not paying these guys, by not taking care of their development physically and just, well, not 
I mean, I don't know if these guys are working at Applebee's in the off season, but they certainly weren't making him living wage in the minor leagues. So they're not necessarily able to develop them physically, a maybe eating the right foods to develop their bodies. All that stuff was just like left by the wayside. If you could do it yourself, then you were fine. I think they're doing better in those categories. But if you talk about taking away another spring training, what I fear the most is injuries because we saw that in 2020. A lot of guys were shut down. Their throwing program was inconsistent. They're throwing into mattresses and stuff in hotel rooms and in, in spring training uh, or in Mesa because some of these guys had nowhere to go. Um, the minor leaguers had no money to even find a place. That's how you end up with a podcast for me and Hap because of minor leaguers with nowhere to live. You know, so Ian Hap, Mr. Millionaire, barely out of the minor leagues himself is like, all right, fellas, come live with me. Let's have a podcast and we'll just, we'll steal some weights. That's what they did. They, they stole weights (laughs) from the Cubs so that their minor leaguers, they borrowed, (laughs) borrowed. Yeah. They borrowed weights from the Cubs so that they could continue their own program. The Cubs didn't help them. You know, I mean, this is just, you know, and then they, then there were the injuries and stuff like that. So I just, when you look at the overall picture for the players, it's sad. And the the fact is we've already seen this play. Yeah. We've already seen this. And it was bad. It was bad. It resulted in a lot of injuries. It resulted in a lot of missed time and weird injuries that people were like, what is that? Like, if you follow Derek Rhodes over at Baseball Prospectus, his tracker of injuries, like you can see the results of what happens when you mess around with the schedule that people have been used to for so long. Um, so they don't whew. care. No, they don't so care. That's, and so that much right there, they do not care about the game. They do not care about their players. It's very transactional. They just want the money. And, the, you know, so th- guess what? We don't really care about money. We don't care about money when we're going to the game, ex- except for when they charge us too much. But, you know, we care about baseball. We want to watch it on TV. We want to watch it at the ballpark. We don't really care if the owners make $50 million or $60 because I don't even have $1 million or, you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm Slumdog Thousand Air over here. So, like, I'm not sometimes Slumdog Hundred Air. So I was gonna say going thousand bad. thousand sounds like a good a good time for me. Um, you know, speaking of transactions, we are going to take a quick break for some transactions of our own with our sponsors. But on the flip side, we've got some Cubs news updates for you. So be sure you stick around for that. We've got some stuff going on at Wrigley Field, some moving of some statues. We've got a streaming service that the Cubs are potentially getting into, Ooh. and some and more and more. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, we're back. Let's start with some lighthearted stuff here since the top half of the show is pretty much all yeah, doom I'm and all gloom. Angry. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's, well, we'll stay angry for one second because uh, one of the things that dropped this week is that everybody's favorite umpire, Country Joe West, is retiring. And I just have to say, Fergie Jenkins on Twitter just throwing the shade at Joe West. It was honestly one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Danny, what do you think of Fergie roasting Joe West on his way out the door? Well, it's not the most politically correct thing Fergie could have said. He said, whenever he called games, I pitched. I used to call him Ray Charles. <laughs> and, you know, as funny as that is, it is a little ableist. Um, but uh, it's but it is a sick, sick bird. And, you know, Joe West is just so famous as to uh, be inserting himself into baseball games where he does not belong. Country Joe, although I did enjoy uh, seeing the uh 
the video going around yet once again of Joe West toppling over on uh, who was it? The the guy from the Mets. Remember when he sl- slides into home plate? I didn't and, see that one. Yeah, and Joe West, it, yeah, he slides at home plate, and Joe West starts teetering, and then he goes straight down. I forget who it was on the Mets. Every oh, was it wasn't Curtis Granderson? Was it? I don't remember who it was, Danny. You're gonna have to do this one on your own. I haven't seen this one. We'll have to retweet it from the account. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. Oh yeah, it was. Oh, Rajay Davis. How could I forget Joe West falling on Rajay Davis? <laughs> Poor Rajay Davis, man. That is not. That is not a yikes. That would not so hurt. he's. He's six, Joe West is 69 years old, going on 86. And it was just, you know, some of these guys, he was some of the stats on him that came out this week, too, were that he was absolutely one of the worst ball and strike umpire, which we know with our own eye test, even even without robot umps and uh, or the pitch tracks or whatever it is. It, it just I'm glad to see him go, except for that. I was very always entertained about making fun of him. <laughs> I'll miss ripping on him. I'll miss the calls that kill the umpire, you know? You know, the thing the thing that always annoyed me the most about Joe, Joe West is that he tried to make himself part of the story way too many times. And I I mean, there are, there are half a dozen different anecdotes that I could point out about this. But the one that sticks out to me from last season is right about the time, it was like a week before they were going to do the sticky stuff enforcement Um, and you know, like everybody had been talking about it. We knew it was coming. We knew that umpires were going to be checking people, whatever. But on Craig Kimbrell's birthday, Craig Kimbrell is walking out to the bullpen in like the fourth inning and he's headed out to the bullpen from the Cubs dugout and Joe West stops him on the field, like right by second base and has a little talking to with Craig Kimbrell. And when Kimbrell comes out for that game, that little spot that had always been that little rosin spot that he always had on his cap was gone. And I didn't see it again for the rest of the season. And it was sort of like, number one, like, do you have to do that in front of the entirety of Wrigley Field? Can you not figure out a way to have that conversation somehow with Craig Kimbrell privately where the fans can't all see it? Like, I just thought it was, once again, Joe West wants to be part of the show. And here he comes, making sure everybody can see him, enforcing the sticky stuff thing. And I just, I don't know. I'm I'm not going to miss that at all. I will not miss Joe West inserting himself into the action at at baseball games. I I don't go to see the owners and I don't go to see the umpires. I go to see Wilson Contreras. I go see Anthony Rizzo. I go to see Frank Schwindel. I go to see Patrick Wisdom. I'm not there to see the umpires or the owners. Yeah. Yeah, now there's a few other ones that are younger than Joe that I wouldn't mind seeing go. Uh, I know there's going to be five new umpires next year, I saw, with Joe West retired. There's a, a couple more open openings, too. I forget who else retired. But that umpires union is strong as well, and these guys stick around far too long. And unfortunately, once they get the call up, it's hard to get rid of them. So you got your Angel Hernandez's, uh, it's just making a total mockery of the game. Um, and you know, CB Buckner, I think is a terrible umpire. There's, I mean, if here's the, the general rule is if you know the umpire's name, he is not good <laughs> at being an umpire because you've been mad at him multiple times for being a, an idiot and, and, uh, not seeing things the way maybe they were. <laughs> totally. I, I, that's my rule as well. I'm like, Oh, that's an umpire whose name I know. I mean, Angel Hernandez, man, every time that dude is behind the plate, he starts trending on Twitter and you just know what's come. like every single 
time. It's like every fifth day, here comes Angel Hernandez trending again on Twitter because he blew some obvious call that everybody is like, really? Again? Like, how is this happening? Yeah. It, no, it's 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 rough. And now you got the uh, the the umpire scorecard, which is a great follow on on Twitter. Is that what it's called? Umpire scorecard. Um, auditor. I'm looking it up right now. Um, auditor. Yeah. Um, auditor. Yeah. That's it's great. And and the thing is, it's like we have all this data now. So hope. I mean, hopefully the uh, robot umpire thing will work out with the strike zone. We might see that very soon. And uh, that will, I think, alle- alleviate a lot of our frustrations with some of these guys because the ball strike thing, I think, is the most frustrating for both the fans and the players <laughs> because these guys are trained. You know, they're in there training with computers and virtual reality goggles and stuff. They know what a strike looks like. I mean, K- Kyle Schwarber knows when that's on the black and when it's not. So, it you know a lot of bad calls. Poor horse, Jorge Soler. Oh uh, man. like all those calls at his knees, like you know, or below his knees, I should say, just getting killed. Totally. I Kyle Schwarber has a better eye than most of the umpires. There, there are two accounts, and Danny and I were both referencing different accounts, but they're both great follows for tracking umpires and keeping them honest. One is at umpire auditor, uh, so definitely check that one out. And the other one is at ump scorecard. So. Those are a couple of those are a couple of great resources during the season to see just how bad those umpires actually are. Sayonara, Joe West. We will not miss you all that much, but I mean, congrats on having the most games umped ever or whatever. We're talking about like one out of every 10 or more calls is wrong. I mean, that's huge. I mean, that's like one an inning at least, if not one every couple at bats well and they just they always happen in ways that seem to change the character of a game it's like some huge at bat and it goes from being like a 2-1 count to a 1-2 count and all of a sudden that poor hitter's batting average has got like their expected batting average and that at bat has gone from like 275 to 120 or something and it's like so that's the problem the problem is that it's like they're missing seven to 10% of the calls and the calls they're missing are changing the character of the game so dramatically that it's yeah. impossible to not get frustrated about it as a fan. It's it's just impossible to not hate it. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of things that fans don't like very much, uh, let's talk about the Cubs new sports book that required them to, so they are building the sports book. It's going to be like over by where the DraftKings little lounge thing used to be. Um, but in order to build this two-story sports book onto a national federal landmark, uh, they decided that, well, they not decided, they need to move the statues of Ron Santo and Billy Williams. And so those statues are currently living somewhere in Michigan. They will be back someday. I, I'm, I mean, it's not like they're gone forever, but I am also just like, can we just not have a sports book? I don't want a sports book at Wrigley Field. I, I, I just don't need, it doesn't need a sports book. Yeah, well, they couldn't wait to start building that thing as soon as the ink dried on that agreement that they were allowed to do it. That Because this is a way for them to just basically print money. So the house always wins. I don't know what kind of – I mean, you know that place is going to be packed. It's not it, – it, for thus, those of us who are old-timers have been going to Wrigley Field for decades – this is not what any of us want. I, I I haven't talked to one person that likes it. Um, you know, it's just a shame. They're just going to shove it down a throat and, you know, just going to be up there. And I don't know why they had to move the statues to Michigan. I ultimately don't care, but 
like you own like all these buildings right there. You own a giant park. You could have just like move them over there or like they have no plan. They have a plan for the sports book. That was ready to go. Plan for the statues, not ready to go. Plan for maybe a museum, um, not ready to go. Where are they going to put Fergie? They said they're going to do Fergie. Now where are they going to put him? So I guess that'll be part of the whole thing. I don't know if they delay that. I mean, but they they would they couldn't wait to start construction, and that they could not wait to because that's just uh, free money for them. Look, and like I, you know, adults, you do your thing. Like if you're a gambler and that's interesting to you, that's great. I'm not a big gambler. I think the closest thing that I do to anything like gambling is playing some fantasy baseball league. Shout out to the great fantasy baseball invitational and Glarf, where I will be participating in a couple of uh, industry drafts this season. But that's not the same as like having a literal like betting sports book attached to a baseball field and, and not just any baseball field, right? Like Wrigley Field is one of two old school, monumental, this is the history of the nation's pastime, special places. And I just, I don't know. I don't want it to be a gambling mecca. I don't think that adds anything to the legacy of Wrigley Field. If, in fact, I think it takes away from the legacy of Wrigley Field and baseball. I mean, the Black Sox players are 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 out of baseball forever. Like Shoeless Joe Jackson is never getting into the Hall of Fame. His career was ended. Like it was, a, you know, he's on a list of people who are ineligible for the sport forever. Like Pete Rose is on an ineligible list for gambling. Like all of these people who even like approached gambling at some point during their playing career, they have been written off by the sport as if they have committed the gravest sin in the history of baseball and Wrigley Field has a sports book and we're all just supposed to be yeah. cool with that. Like I'm not it's, sorry. It, it's no, it's totally hypocritical. And you know, it's just, it's a, it's a shame. I, I know a lot of people are really going to enjoy it, you know, and go down there on Sundays and in the football season and Saturdays and bet the college games and March madness. I mean, that place will be hopping, you know, all year long people, the, the degenerates will be in there dumping their money right into Ricketts pockets. Now, if we would see that on the fields, I might be a little bit more amenable to not being mad at it, but you yeah. know, we're not going to see that at all. So I'm like, well, screw it. I'm like, I'm going to egg it. Yeah. <laughs> sign Carlos Correa to a 10 year, whatever hundreds of million dollar contract. And maybe I'll get over the sports book. Yeah. With the money. Yeah. Then it'll be fine. I don't care. You know, but, the, but they're print they're going to print the money unless they have the worst odds makers in the world at that casino. But you know, it's big money for the city of Chicago, but I don't know. Casinos, especially sports book, they're not known to like, like up the value of neighborhoods. They're they up the value of the sports book, but they, you know, when you got people, and it's already known as a bar mecca. So you got the drunks and the tea boxers and all that stuff running around there puking on the sidewalks. Now you add a bunch of degenerates coming in and out of there, like. Well, you're going to you're going to make yourself a little scene. I feel bad for the neighbors of Wrigleyville, which you and I are just on the cusp of. So, God, can you imagine yeah. T-Box at the sports book? That is going to be the absolute yeah. worst collection <laughs> of people ever. Like, it's going to be worse than any time the Cardinals have ever played at Wrigley Field. Like the worst, just the absolute worst. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I mean, there's nothing we can do about it at this point except not go, but um, which we all can choose not to do. I mean, who knows? Maybe it's just not that popular. 
Uh, but people gamble on their phones. Like, I don't know why you'd want to go in, you know? I mean, just maybe it's a good place to watch a game. It's like a bar and that's why it's fun. But you know, you can do all this stuff on FanDuel or whatever, you know, or, I, mean, or... I can go to a bar. Like I'll just, I'll just go to a bar and watch a game at a bar and it won't take my money on betting about the next home run or whatever. Like I, yeah, I will spend less can... money. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we could go to a bar. I mean, but you can go. We could sit at Nisei Lounge, and we could gamble on our phones if we want to. Now, I mean, that it all came on so fast. Like a decade ago, you couldn't gamble anywhere. You had to go to a boat in the middle, <laughs> like well, a quote unquote boat, because they're not really boats. If you have ever been out to uh, into Indiana to some of those, but uh, you know, if you you had to go either to Vegas, Ace Atlantic City. Or a boat. <laughs> and now it's just like, oh, it's your phone that you can do it on. And so it all came on real fast. And the Ricketts wanted a piece of that money, just like they got in on, on the SPACs. <laughs> you know, they got their own SPAC on the stock market. And those are pretty opaque um, investment vehicles, if you know about them. Uh, but it's, you know, it's just a big old Ponzi scheme that they're at the head of. Well, speaking of things that will print money and trying to get in on the latest newfangled thing, a uh, couple of days ago, it broke that the in the New York Post that the Cubs are considering launching their own streaming service. This would be a streaming service that is a competitor to MLB.tv, which many of us already have. And it would basically be a standalone, right? Like you do your, like, I don't know, your Paramount Plus or your Peacock or whatever, and you pay for those things. Now, as far as I can tell, if I want to sign up for Peacock, because for whatever reason, I'm like super in love with NBC's programming, and I just need to spend $4 a month to get more of it. It's like $4 a month or $5 a month or whatever. The Cubs seem to believe that their streaming service would be worth $18 a month, which I am just like, look, I am all for a Cubs streaming service. I think that thinking that it's worth $18 a month, which translates to $216 a year if you keep it during the entire year, is bananas. I can get MLB an MLB subscription for all of the teams, for all of the games, admittedly with some blackout restrictions, which we'll talk about in a second, for $129 for the entire year. Why am I going to pay more than that for just Cubs content? And as far as I can tell, it's not even clear if it would be like only the home games, like if they would have access to stream the road games. Like, I don't know. I think $18 a month is way too steep for a Cubs streaming standalone. But Danny, what do you think? Well, yeah. And uh, I'll add to it that the Cubs do play in a lot of national games, which you would still be blacked out of from this, that the marquee isn't carrying ESPN, Fox, things like that. So, uh, I mean, yeah, $18 is bananas. I think a lot of uh, Cub fans will pay it if they didn't, if especially cord cutters who are big Cub fans who don't have any cable at all, you know, and because for me, well, here's the the reality of the situation. People are going around with MLB TV and they're using VPNs anyway to get around the the, the blackouts anyhow, and they're watching the games on Reddit streams, they're watching the games. Uh, people are are broadcasting these things on Facebook, and Facebook isn't taking them down, like because they because it's like playing whack a mole with these things. You put one goes down, another one goes up. These illegal streams, they 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 very rarely prosecute anybody that's that's doing this in a big way. They have advertising on the sides for gambling syndicates and Bitcoin. Like this, this is not. It is. This is what it is, and it's like. Uh, so they, this is already happening. People can already see this. If 
the Cubs want even a little bit of some of these people who are doing things in the illegal way to watch their games, which is a lot of people that I know. If they want even some of that money, they need to make it more affordable. Because if you're going to say, okay, 10 bucks a month and you get all the home games and then uh, – and because you can cancel. Like I would I not. Know. Why would I pay in the off season? Like yeah, so I can but- watch like some game from like 1987. Like I don't care. I mean, I do keep it year. I, I keep my MLB subscription year round, and I'm also lucky enough to be a T-Mobile person, so I get like the T-Mobile deal every year. Yeah, that's how I like, got it too. Yeah, that's great. Um, but like, I don't know. I keep that year round. It's nice to be able to go back and look at a specific Cubs game that I'm writing an article about, or like maybe I want to find a t- like you know the Javi play where Javi like stole ho- like what like basically came home and then went back to second and somehow like managed to basically manufacture a run in the weirdest way possible that I've ever seen in my life. Um, like if I want to go look at something like that for an article, I like the ability to go back to do it. And frankly, I don't think that it's that big of an, in- that it gets that big of a cost to get MLB. I would probably pay for it even if I didn't have the T-Mobile thing. But the idea that a single team is going to charge more then the league charges for every game just strikes me as being ridiculous. And I think that, you know, there's some speculation that maybe that $18 per month price tag is the cost for all the Sinclair RSNs, which would be like 18 teams instead of just the one. But that's not entirely clear from the post's writing of it. And I just think the Cubs are not living in reality if they think fans are going to spend $18 a month for just Cubs games. Yeah, well, it's just another example of what I just said is that they're completely out of touch and they think bananas cost $50, totally. you know, totally. and so they, you know, $18 to a lot of people is a big monthly fee to take on. So, and they're, and they're not going to do it. So, but it's way cheaper than cable. And if you're somebody like me who really doesn't watch anything, like here's what I have. I got a, a Hulu subscription that I share with uh, my mother-in-law and uh my fiance and i got um i don't have netflix because because i have because my fiance has it. like you know it's just like you have these piecemeal situations i have youtube and that's it but i only watch cubs games so if that's the one thing that i that is important to me and i think is important to a lot of people i would personally maybe pay the 18 bucks but i think that you're gonna get a lot more people on board if you charge 10 and isn't there a point in which you'd kind of want more people because then you're selling more jerseys and you're getting more people out to the ballpark and you're getting, you know, more revenue generated in other ways by making more fans. But, you know, these guys, they just want all the money up front, I think. You know, I think. Oh, sorry, Danny, go ahead. No, and, and I'm just I was just going to finish by saying and they're pretty out of touch with with how they're going to get it, because I don't know too many people that are going to sign up for 18 bucks a month. I just don't. See, 10 I would sign up for. You give me a $9.99 Cubs streaming service, I am in. Like, I'll just add it to the Netflix and Hulu and MLB stuff that I have, and I'll get my Cubs games, and they won't be blacked out. $9.99 is a sweet, is a sweet spot for a subscription like that. I think they would make more money with a $10 streaming service than they would with an 18 for exactly the reason you just said. Because 18 is going to price people. out a lot of people. $10 feels reasonable. It feels like, yeah, I can pay $10 a month for Cubs games. Uh, Danny, it has been a lot of ranting on this show. I feel like the San Ranto influence is already like here and living among <laughs> us, but let's end on a high note. Tell us a little bit 
Yeah, it's it's. I was gonna say it's it's off season, so like nobody's happy. We haven't been to the ballpark in a long time. The sun is well, the sun's out right now, but it's not in Chicago. But you know, it's cold, you know, so we're all been stuck inside. So nobody's in a good mood. So yeah, it's, we're ranty, but yeah, let's end on a good note. I know where you're going with this. I had the opportunity through. Uh, it, some of you guys listen to this show might know that I've done uh, an event with uh, John Baker, who is the former Cubs mental skills coordinator now works for the pirates. And, uh, in 2020 and 2021, we raised money for the lost boys, which is a a baseball organization run by Levante Stewart on the South side of Chicago in the South shore neighborhood. And, uh, Marcus Stroman, since he, uh, was signed by the Chicago Cubs was put in touch uh, through pitching ninja, a friend, Rob Friedman, who's on the board at lost boys. Uh, was put in touch with Marcus Stroman. Marcus Stroman agreed to have a Zoom call with the Lost Boys, which I was lucky to, enough to be a part of the other day. Uh, Marcus spent a little over an hour answering questions from the kids and showing them his different pitching grips and talking about sliders and how, his approach to the game. And let me tell you, I mean, I know how Cub fans are. Like, he needs to have an ERA under four for everybody to like him, okay? But if he can manage that, which I think he can because he's a good pitcher. He really is. Um, this dude has overcome adversity through his whole life, especially as an athlete, because a lot of people told him he couldn't do it because he's not a tall man. He's only five foot seven, I believe. And that doesn't even get you a look. The You, you got to be at least six foot and throw a 90 uh, to even even get a look from scouts nine out of 10 times, unless you are exceptionally talented and work hard. And that's what Marcus Stroman is. What a cool dude. Um, he talked about taking barefoot walks so that he can feel the earth under his feet and that grounding him with the planet. He talked about, uh, I, I asked him personally why he wore number zero and, you know, I thought he was going to have some fun story about, you know, oh, I, I just thought it was cool or something, you know. But, no, he he talked about the, the circle being a, an image that you can turn inside out and always. And also it's, it has meaning because it is a whole. It never, it's never ending. And and, and the, z- the zero or the, is it absence of space inside the zero? Like, you know, he had really cool. He's deep. The dude had really cool answers. And he talked about breathing. He said he wants to use his feet as hands. Like when he pictures his feet as hands, like he's, I know he's just so in tune with his body. He said he used to be superstitious and he got rid of that. Now he's a total go with the flow guy. Like whatever he feels, he's just into breathing, finding the breath. He um, thinks that the, one of the main problems with baseball is that there's not enough women in it. And, and he said that he's, there's no way that without the, the, the strong women in his life that he would be anywhere near he, where he is. And so he looks around major league baseball and sees how it's going and how it's not going, you know, may look at the negotiations. Like nothing has been easy amongst baseball. Everybody's like throwing their weight around. Um, so he just had a lot of cool things to say about it. He wants to, he thinks there should be women, major leaguers. Hopefully he said, hopefully while he's still playing that there will be a woman that, uh, plays in the major leagues. Well, you, hope. 
you know, I already love Marcus Stroman, but he just like shot up higher on my list of favorite players. He's like, he's like just trailing Wilson Contreras right now. Let's be clear. Nobody can beat Wilson for me. It's going to be a pretty sick day. The first time I get to see Wilson Contreras catch Marcus Stroman, I'm, I'm going to be there with bells on. Definitely going to have to get myself one of those Stroman zero jerseys because that is just a wicked cool story. I love the way he's thinking about numbers and thinking about what they say to people and what they mean. I think that's pretty fantastic. And he's going to be working with the Lost Boys uh, pretty once once he gets to town. I know he'll probably go down there and visit. Hopefully, I get a chance to talk to him. Uh, I was just down working with the Lost Boys on Saturday, teaching them like some music classes. I went down there with a couple of loopers and a lot of percussion toys, and we jammed out for four hours straight. And boy, did I have a headache after that because well, those kids like making well, most kids like making noise, but you know, you show up with a bunch of drums and shakers and loopers and microphones, like it could get loud quick. So uh, anyway, it's great organization. If, I just want to encourage everybody, if you don't know about Lost Boys, please check them out and look up their websites, lostboysinc.org, I believe. Yeah, Lost, find them. the Lost Boys is an incredible organization. Levante is doing outstanding work down on the South Shore, and we're happy to support it however we can. Uh, if you can, if you can donate, uh, shoot them some cash. It will go to good use. But it's awesome to hear that Marcus Stroman is already involved with such a great organization. I knew uh, that Cubs fans would just fall in love with him when he got to Wrigley Field. Now we just need baseball to get its get its act together so that we can have a chance to fall in love with Marcus Stroman. Uh, Danny, where can people find you until our next episode where hopefully we are covering some sort of progress between MLB and the MLB Players Association on these negotiations? Well, I'm at Sunranto on Twitter, which is like R and R Ron Santo with the R and S switched, and I'm on Facebook at the same place. And it, Sunranto show on Instagram, all, all that. Just type in Sunranto, you'll find us in our little stick figure drawing. Um, I also want to quickly just uh, say I've got a show running that I wrote the music for. We are Jeff uh, recommended right now. Jeff Award recommended for our production of The Martyrdom of Peter Ohay at Trapdoor Theater uh, in Bucktown in, here, right here in Chicago. Uh, two for one on Thursday. So check out Trapdoor Theater, spelled R-E dot com, theater with a tr at the end, dot com, and uh, buy your tickets and come see your show and then let me know how you liked it. Awesome. Uh, I am, as always, at BCB underscore Sarah. There is no H on the Sarah. You can find what we're talking about here on the show and every episode at at Cup of Cubby Blue and at BleedCubbyBlue.com. And until next time, we will be tweeting out all of our baseball hot takes, uh, hopefully with some news to report on when the season might actually come together. Until then, bye. Bye. Rob Manfred likes opening days in winter Likes baseball games that don't go on too long Rob Manfred likes more offense from the hitter Likes juicing up the ball and hitting dogs Intentional walks with just a finger And old umpires were always blowing calls Likes a national ETH But one thing Manfred hates Rob Manfred hates baseball Sending the ball, drag the blower stitches And half the team's making the playoffs Rob Manfred likes pitchers who face three batters
just keep the fans 